Well, this morning we come to Daniel 5, that great story. There's so many good stories in Daniel. This one, the writing on the wall. Um, Such a a well-known story that has become part of our language. Uh, The writing on the wall. The writing is on the wall. Uh, You've been weighed and found wanting. These are things that have crept into our everyday usage. And uh, for good reason. There's good things to learn from this. In fact, I had to kind of pare them down a little bit this morning. There's so many. So hopefully I'll focus on just the, the two or three key ones. Well, let me read the, uh, the chapter for us, chapter 5 of Daniel. And a, a reminder as well that this is the very Word of God, not just a story, but God's Word to us. Daniel 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you, or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, Light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. 
Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he killed, and whom he would he kept alive. Whom he would he raised up, and whom he would he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways. You have not honored. Then from the presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So ends the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. May he write it now upon our hearts. May it bear fruit in our lives. As we come before the word, let's turn to God once again in prayer. Our God and our Father, now we come before your word. We expect, hopefully, to hear you speak to us. Do so and fulfill the promise that you have made, that your word goes out, does not return to you empty, instead accomplishes what you purpose and is successful in the things for which you send it. Again, we ask that you pour out your Spirit upon us. Open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear the things that you would have us see and learn this morning. Make your word a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, so that we might walk according to what it teaches. Father, we ask this in the precious name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So here we are in Daniel 5. We've left the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, we've left it far behind. 
Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon, used by God to send Judah into exile, punishment for their breaking of his covenant with them. The story of the kings that come after Nebuchadnezzar is almost a a petty preview of, of his dream. Remember the statue of gold and silver and bronze, the lesser kingdoms that were going to come after him? Well, there were lesser kings that came after Nebuchadnezzar. Gold to silver to bronze. First, his son named Amel Marduk reigned for a couple, three years. He was executed, replaced by a man named Nera Glissar. He reigned for about four to five years, was succeeded by his son named Labashi Marduk. He only reigned for a few months. He was executed. Apparently, the party that executed him put in place a man named Nabonidus. Nabonidus becomes king and ruled for about 17 years until the Persians came and destroyed Babylon, took it over. So where does Belshazzar come from? (laughs) Who is this king of Babylon that gives a great feast? There's some doubt about him, or at least there used to be, until archaeologists dug up a ton of records, tablets, clay cylinders with inscriptions, and we learned that Belshazzar was the son of Nabonidus and ruled as kind of a co-regent. Nabonidus was a man who was very religious and he went and spent years in the temple of this god that he worshipped and would leave his son in charge of Babylon and the kingdom. Or he'd go go off and fight wars and leave his son in charge. So here's the son who was a co-ruler. People doubted the Bible. Yet again, it's proved right. (laughs) And... uh, also, this Darius the Mede at the end, they doubted, but that one turns out to be right as well. In any case, we're down to this son of a king who really is not all that competent. He's really not much more than a party boy. And that's what we see in this chapter. Nabonidus is miles away as this is going on, fighting against Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, He's defeated. He's running for his life. While this is going on, while his father is defending the kingdom, Belshazzar is in the capital city having a party with a thousand of his closest friends. Maybe tied to a religious feast, but basically it's just a party. Let's have food, let's have wine, let's have a good time. Unfortunately, it leads to his downfall. Our primary lesson, our primary example from this chapter comes from Belshazzar. He's a negative example, a bad example. It's funny, we we make fun of Nero. Nero fiddled while Rome burned. And we're not even sure that really happened. But we do know that Belshazzar partied and his city was conquered. The very night he had the party partied while Babylon was coming under attack. Maybe he thought he had time. Maybe he thought the city was secure. Maybe he was having this party, this feast, to appease his gods and win their favor. Whatever the case, it didn't work. And there's a similar attitude that we can have toward life. Let's have a good time. Eat, drink, and be merry. We've got time. We've got time to entertain ourselves. We've got time to sow our wild oats. 
time to do other things. Meanwhile, disaster approaches. And it comes upon us unawares. Again, this week, I just want to go through the story, see how it unfolds, and then we'll talk about some lessons we can learn from it. The famous story of the writing on the wall. Remember, Daniel started, this book started in 605 B.C. when he and his friends were taken captive. It's now 539 B.C. That's a long time. Sixty-six years have passed. Daniel is an old man, probably in his 80s. Maybe retired, maybe semi-retired, or maybe just put out to pasture by the new king, the new regime. But the chapter opens very abruptly. No dates, no reigns. It just tells us Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. Wine, the central part of the feast. The, the feast. We're not told why he did this. But we're told that in the midst of this, as he's drinking the wine, apparently getting a little buzzed and having a good time, he gets this bright idea. Let's go get the vessels from the temple in Judah, in Jerusalem, that my father, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, brought. Let's drink from those. And so his lords, his wives, his concubines drank from the very vessels of God's temple. And as they did so, it says in verse 4, that they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron and wood and stone. All their gods and idols, from the greatest to the least, those made of precious gold to those made and carved out of eh, just a piece of stone or a hunk of wood. So while they're having a good time, the story changes very abruptly and very quickly. It kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10 going in to, to offer incense, and suddenly, boom, God's judgment comes. Well, guess what happens here? Immediately, it says in verse 5, immediately as they do this, the fingers of a hand appear and wrote in the plaster of the wall. We, again, here's another confirmation. They've dug up the palace of the king in Babylon, and know that it was coated with a white plaster. Would have made the writing more visible. Anyway, there's immediate judgment. Unfortunately, Belshazzar and his lords and his wives and his concubines don't know what it is. Here the finger writes on the wall. It says, opposite the lampstand, on a white wall where it's brightly lit and could be seen by everybody. God's not taking any chances here. It's obvious. Something divine is happening. The king sees it. It it says it terrified him. His color changed. He went pale, probably. His thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way. Literally, it says his joints became loose. He either fainted or he soiled himself. Could be a metaphor for, oops, had an accident. His knees knocked together. He's terrified. A hand's writing on the wall. This has to be some sort of godlike act. So he calls for the wise men, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. He so wants to know what's going on that he offers purple robes. Remember, purple in this day and age is hard to make. 
It's rare. It's priceless. Purple robes, symbols of, of royalty and nobility and lordship. A gold chain of authority. A title, the third ruler in the kingdom. Third, because it's after father and son. If you can interpret the writing of the wall, this is yours. They come, we read in verses 8 and 9, and they can't interpret it. They can't read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. And so King Belshazzar is greatly alarmed. His color changed. Even his lords were perplexed. So someone wiser walks in, the queen. (laughs) Probably not one of his wives. We don't really know who this is. His wives and his concubines were all there. Typically, people think it's the queen mother, although probably his mother had died by this time. The reason they think that is because she was a a very wise woman who lived to um, some great age. Or maybe Nabonidus' mother, similar in uh, stature. It's possibly even Nebuchadnezzar's wife who was still alive at this time and would have been treated as the queen mother. In any case, it's a woman who's smarter than all the men, which I think is a a funny irony in this story. She remembers, knows of a man who, in whom the spirit of the holy gods exists. A man who in the days of Belshazzar's father, not his literal biological father, but his father in kingship, Kings would look to one another as father and son in that office. But to whom Nebuchadnezzar was shown light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, this man. She reminds him, your father, Nebuchadnezzar the king, made this man chief of all his wise men. Kind of a little dig, I think, at at Belshazzar and Nabonidus, your father the king did this. You guys are too dumb to do it. Kind of a backhanded way of digging at him. Why? Again, because an excellent spirit, a knowledge, understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems was found in this Daniel. Let him be called, she says in verse 12. He will show the interpretation. So it continues in verse 13. Daniel's brought in before the king. And Belshazzar really treats him kind of poorly, disparages him. So I hear you're that Daniel. You're one of those exiles brought in, putting Daniel in his place, putting him down. This is a man who Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, greater than Belshazzar, had given a lofty position. I've, I've heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you. There's a questioning tone in what he says. I've heard this. I don't know if I believe it. I've heard it. May be true, might be not. Says the same kind of thing in verse 16. I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. I, I, you've got this reputation, but I haven't seen it. Typical of, I think, the pride of a young king. Yeah, I've heard about other people, but I, I'm king now. It's my, it's my game, my rules, my time. Nevertheless, he makes it known to Daniel that his own wise men couldn't interpret what was going on and makes the same offer to Daniel. Purple robes, a gold chain, 
third ruler in the kingdom. Verse 17, Daniel says, let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to another. I don't want them. Maybe because he knows what's coming. (laughs) What use is it to be third ruler in a kingdom that's about to be defeated? Or maybe it's his own way of putting Belshazzar in his place. Nevertheless, I will tell you the interpretation, he says. But before he does, and (laughs) this is fantastic, from verses 18 to 21, he gives a little lecture to Belshazzar, a little sermon. Remember, this is what prophets do before kings. This is done to David by Nathan. Samuel did it. Other prophets did it to other kings to come in and tell them what they need to hear. This is what Belshazzar needed to hear. A lecture, a history lesson about his greater father, the great king. And so Daniel tells him about the greatness of Nebuchadnezzar, that God gave him not only kingship, but greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. The great king that we've talked about. He killed whom he would. He kept alive whom he would. He raised up whom he would. He humbled who he would. In other words, he was a king. He led. He ruled. None of that about Nebuchadnezzar is condemned. What's condemned, what's judged, is what we find in verse 20. His heart was lifted up, his spirit was hardened, and so he dealt proudly. What brought Nebuchadnezzar down was his pride. His glory was taken from him. And he tells the story of Nebuchadnezzar being driven out from mankind, having the mind of a beast, eating grass. Until it says in verse 21, he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sits over it whom he will. And these great prophetic words to Belshazzar in verse 22, You, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. You knew it. This isn't ancient history. This isn't something that's been forgotten in the annals of time. This happened, and you know it, and you failed to learn the lesson from it. You failed to soften your heart. Instead, you hardened your heart against the Most High God. Verse 23, you lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. The vessels of his house have been brought in before you. Your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. The standard condemnation against the pointless idols of men. Praise them, but the God in whose hand is your breath, The one in whom are all your ways you have not honored. Nice little lecture to give to a king. Talk about speaking truth to power. (laughs) Daniel doesn't back off. He tells him the truth. He tells him what he needs to hear. Then he finally explains the meaning. He goes through this partly to, to, to teach Belshazzar a lesson, but also to say, this is why the hand appeared. This didn't just happen as some random act from the divine throne room. This is here because of the way you behaved. This is a judgment 
upon you. And this is the writing, he says, that is inscribed. The four words, many, many, tekel and parson. Simple nouns. As nouns, they're kind of like measures of, of money. You could almost, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's almost like dollar, dollar, quarter, and a half. Declining amounts of things. As verbs with a different set of vowels with the consonants, they mean something else. Your days have been numbered, and they're being brought to an end. That's mene. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Parson, which is the plural, or perez, which Daniel uses as the singular, your kingdom is divided, broken up, given to the Medes and Persians. Why couldn't the wise men understand that? They're simple words. Again, maybe they were afraid. Maybe they read them as nouns and didn't get the, the verbal meaning. Whatever the case, the meaning escaped them. And Daniel, with God-given wisdom, sees to the heart of the king's sin and declares the judgment of God upon them, upon him in particular. Now, there's two problems going back to this feast and party that Belshazzar has, has undertaken to give. He's misusing God's vessels in two ways. One, he's using holy things set aside for a holy use for a profane common use. Drinking, like any common cup. But the other misuse is he uses them to praise other gods. Gods of silver and gold and stone and bronze and iron and wood. False use and false worship. His pride is condemned and his partying is condemned as well. I don't know how to take verse 29. <laughs> Belshazzar gives the command, Daniel's clothed with purple, a chain of gold put around his neck, a proclamation made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Is he honoring Daniel with this? Well, you're right. You interpreted it, here's your reward. Or is he doing it sarcastically? In other words, well, you might as well go down with the ship like the rest of us. A kind of ironic and kind of, I think, angry and petulant way of possibly honoring Daniel. I don't know which it is. It doesn't do Daniel any good anyway because the kingdom's about to change. The story ends abruptly in verse 30. Verse 31. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. About 62 years old. And that's what happened. Again, we know from the historical sources, while Cyrus is out chasing around Belshazzar's dad and bringing him to defeat, his top general, who was given some authority and rulership in the city of Babylon, Darius the Mede was sneaking into Babylon via a water gate. It's like a classic old movie. Sneaking in by the water gate and breaking into the city and conquering it. Belshazzar's gone. It's done. 
It's over. The judgment is enacted. His kingdom is gone. So lessons we can learn. Well, the key part of the judgment against Belshazzar is that he's weighed and found wanting. He's been looked at. God's examined him. He's been measured in the scales. He doesn't measure up. He's wanting. Two sins tied together, using God's holy vessels for a common use and then praising false gods. And the reason behind that sin is his own pride. He hadn't humbled himself like Nebuchadnezzar. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar ever, ever converted uh, and became a believer, but at least he humbled himself before God. At least he knew who the Most High God was and admitted it and humbled himself before him. Belshazzar had no excuse. He knew the stories. He'd heard about what happened, should have learned the lesson, and also humbled himself, but he didn't. In his pride, he sinned against the Most High God of heaven. So like so much of the early chapters of Daniel, we have another lesson in pride. Pride goes before a fall. The saying is true. Belshazzar apparently wants to be somebody. To be recognized. To be a great man. To be thought of as a great king. To show off his power, his wealth the greatness of his kingdom. Look at these vessels we got from this tiny little podunk kingdom out in Judah. They're ours now. We can use them however we want. He does this even though he's only the, he's only the second ruler in the kingdom. He's not even the true king. He's just a co-regent. He does this even though he's not the one who went and defeated Judah. Nebuchadnezzar did it. He's just the lucky inheritor of of the throne. Pride. Pride going before a fall. And we see this over and over. We see it all around us. We see it in others and we see it in ourselves. People, individuals, we see it in churches, we see it in Christian institutions, we see it in secular situations, but the ones that are so troubling are the ones that happen in God's, among God's people. The church that wants to be somebody. The ministry that decides it wants to be the leader, to, to have an impact, to be influential. And I, can, I, I don't know that I can think of a single example where I've come across that where it hasn't been followed by a fall from grace. By a decline if it's an individual by a, a, some sort of sin being found out and the man being brought low. Pride is dangerous. It's poisonous. God doesn't tolerate it. It eventually brings the person to ruin of some kind, some sort of sorrow, some sort of difficulty, some sort of pain, all because, and it's all their own fault. You can trace it to their own prideful actions. Too often we're raising ourselves up and, and putting God in the background or bringing him down. And we as Christians should know better. Too often we're too foolish to see what we're doing. So pride, 
Don't be prideful. It's dangerous, poisonous. Another lesson I think that's, that's timely as well. I find it interesting that the, the setting of this story is a party, a feast. And if there's one thing that I, I've seen in my lifetime in this world that we live in is that this party mentality, maybe I'm just seeing particular things, but it seems to me to be growing. Any excuse to have a party, any excuse to decorate, any excuse to drink and have fun. And Belshazzar is given a great party, a thousand lords, all his wives, all his concubines. There's a lot of people there. They're drinking, they're feasting. That's a big party. Whether it's tied to a religious feast or not, whatever the reason, he's throwing the drinking binge. And he's doing it while the city is under attack. <laughs> Within days of his own father's defeat out in the field, the news had to have reached him. Your father lost the battle. He's running for his life. Well, let's drink and have a party. What, what mentality is this? And yet, how often do we do similar kinds of things? Different, but similar. Or want to. Or envy those who do. There's a big party going on today. Up in Hollywood, right up the freeway. People celebrating their own little idols with little golden statues. Congratulating one another, patting themselves on the back, walking down a red carpet, getting their pictures taken, bragging about the clothes that they wear and the jewelry they have. Getting gift bags worth thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. Extravagant wasteful and terribly hypocritical because they'll moan and groan and lecture all of us about how we need to take care of the poor and take care of the needy and yet collectively they waste millions and millions of dollars every year on their own hair and skin and clothes and jewelry and cars and houses and food and who knows what. Now they're an easy target but it's not just them, because many of us are very envious. We want the same thing. We want to have a good time. I like to walk down the red carpet. I like to have my picture taken. I like to get a gift basket. I want an excuse to dress up. So what do we do? I can guarantee you all around this Southland today, there are Oscar parties being thrown. It's a new thing. Nobody threw Oscar parties when I was a kid. Nobody cared. We went in on the action. There are people dressing up, getting made up, buying food, buying drink, so they can be part of the action vicariously. See, we kind of want to be like Belshazzar. We want to be the popular guy. We want to be able to give the big feast. We want to show how powerful and how great we are. Or we just want to have a good time. But we have to beware, unless, like him, God looks at us and finds us weighed and wanting, and our days numbered shorter than we thought. Belshazzar should have been preparing to defend the city instead of having a good time. How often, whether it's an Oscar party or something else, 
Should we be going about the duties that God has called us to and instead we're looking to have a good time, to entertain ourselves? How often are you and I just lazy or self-indulgent when we should be doing the work of Christ, building up his kingdom? We spend so much time and effort and money chasing our own desires, our own little idols. They're no better than the idols of the Chaldeans, stone and wood, iron and bronze and silver, gold if we can afford it. The idols we create in our own hearts We spend more time on those far too often than we do on the things of God, the things of Christ. Food, drink, in extreme cases, drugs. Just just to go out and have a good time. Thank God it's Friday. Let's go to happy hour. Wednesday, happy hour. I saw shirts for sale in the store the other day. Sunday fun day. What was Belshazzar doing with God's holy vessels? Misusing them. He should have been worshiping God. What do we do? Sunday, fun day. I'm going to go entertain myself. We use God's holy day for our own use. We're not not different from Belshazzar. We're just poor. (laughs) (laughs) We get a t-shirt. He gets gold vessels. Maybe it's success, maybe it's money, maybe it's power, maybe it's influence, those prideful things that we seek after. Maybe it's knowledge, maybe it's wisdom. So I can, you know, teachers lord it over others as well. We have to be careful, so careful. We do need to remember the Lord has numbered our days. We learned that when we went through Job, chapter 14, verse 5. That very night, Belshazzar The Chaldean king was killed. When are you going to die? When am I going to die? I don't know. It might be tonight. Death is coming. Accident? Cancer? Your heart just gives out? Get hit by a bus? You don't know and I don't know. We don't know. Could it be that we're off chasing our own desires and the only end is our own destruction? Now, I'm not against having fun or having a good time. (laughs) Parties are good and celebration is good. But there's a self-indulgent way of doing it that is very selfish and very prideful and very idolatrous. That's what we need to avoid. Death, death is coming. And it only has two, con- two consequences, two results. We talked about the fiery furnace earlier. It's either eternal wrath and destruction in the fiery furnace of God's wrath, which Jesus warned about, or it's peace with him for all of eternity, which Jesus offers. You can take Jesus' warning. You can take his gift. I'll take the gift. Will we humble ourselves before God? Will we obey Him? Will we seek to do His will? Will we learn His ways and make them our own? Will we humble ourselves, acknowledge our sin, admit our need for help and salvation, and accept the offer that God gives us in Jesus? 
come to faith in him. See, Belshazzar knew better. The queen kind of told him that. Daniel told it to him straight to his face. You knew better. So do you and so do I. Bel had the test- Belshazzar had the testimony of what had happened with Nebuchadnezzar. We have the testimony of Christ. The witness of Scripture to who he is and what he's done. We have the witness of others who've repented and come to faith, and we, be, we should be sharing those testimonies. There's no excuse. Not for Belshazzar the king, not for us. Thank, thanks be to God that, that we here can say that we have repented and believed. But we have, we're kind of like little Daniels in some way. We have to go out and say to the world that's out there having a good time, worshiping other gods, You need to repent and believe. You don't have an excuse. Your days are numbered. Will you be found wanting? Because you will, if you don't have Christ as Savior. I'm reminded of the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 90. Moses wrote that psalm. The great man of God, the great prophet. Verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What a great prayer. May that be our prayer this morning. Teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Amen. Let's pray.